Jonah chapter four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you're here with us, whether you're here in the West Service or you're over in the East Service or you're watching online. Thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, my wife and I, Amy and I, have been traveling for the last few weeks. I just want you to know how good it is to be back. We've missed this church. We've missed being around you. We've missed being a part of what's happening here, and it is good to be back, especially because uh, we are either in summer or close to summer, depending on the day. So the weather is improving, and if you've been around here uh, for any length of time, you know what that means. If, if the weather is getting nice, if summer is close, then that means kids camp is close. So before I begin the sermon, just want to remind you that registration for kids camp, a whole week of fun and games and pointing kids to Jesus is live. In fact, registration just went live. We already have 100 kids signed up already in just days, which means two things. One, it's going to be awesome. And so if you have kids, you do not want to miss it. It's also they're here and you can go do other things. You won't want to miss that either. But the second thing is if you have any free time that week, we would love for you to volunteer. A lot of kids means a lot of roles are needed. So if you're here and you have a child, sign them up. If you're here and you're interested in helping out, uh, go to the Next Steps area across the atrium uh, and uh, let them know you're interested in that. Uh, I'm also excited to finish our sermon series on the book of Jonah. We've been spending four weeks looking at the book of Jonah and trying to figure out what it is that God has for us in that book. So if you have a Bible uh, or a phone or whatever, a device that you can get to the Bible from, would you open it up or turn it on and turn to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. We're going to look at the whole uh, fourth chapter. And as you're turning, let me hold out to you the three-point outline I'm going to use to kind of navigate this passage with you. I want to draw your attention to three things 
Very simple. Number one, the question. Number two, the test. And number three, the secret. Okay, the question, the test, and the secret. All right, let's start with the question. If you've never read Jonah before and you just listen to that scripture being read, you would probably assume there is a fifth chapter because it doesn't feel like it ends. It just ends with God asking a question. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? There's no real ending. There's no real resolution. It is open-ended. In fact, if you're not familiar with Jonah, to let this open-ended ending hit even a little harder, let me make some sense of it for you. In Jonah chapter 1, God tells his prophet Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the enemy of Jonah's people, and God wants Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach to them, and Jonah doesn't want to. In fact, in the words of my favorite children's Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible, Jonah goes to the ticket booth, and he buys one ticket to not Nineveh, okay? The only thing he cares is he's not going that way, and in fact, he does. He boards a a boat going in the opposite direction of Nineveh, and God sends a storm as a judgment on Jonah, and the boat is going to sink, and Jonah knows exactly what God is doing, so he tells the other sailors on the boat to throw him overboard, and God will ease up the storm. They do, and God does. And right about the time you think the story is going to end, Jonah sinking down to the bottom of the ocean to die, God sends a great fish that swallows Jonah up, and Jonah spends three days in the belly of that fish. And it turns out three days is how long it took for Jonah to come to his senses, for him to realize that running from God is silly, and to realize his own need for God's grace. Three days in the fish, God has the fish spit Jonah out onto the beach, Jonah gets the message again, go to Nineveh, he goes. When he gets to the city, he tells them that in 40 days, judgment is coming. And in a twist that no one sees coming, the city repents. They confess, it, they confess their sin to God. They turn from the evil they were doing, and God's judgment does not come. And then we get to chapter 4. And the whole point of chapter 4 and the ending is to make sure we realize that Jonah is not really about Jonah. It really isn't. It's not about Jonah. It's actually about you and about me. The reason why the book ends with a question, the reason why it ends in an open-ended way, is because the writer desires the conversation to continue. This is like a movie with a twist ending, where afterwards you look at the person you went to the movie with and you say to them, what do you think happened? What do you think they're going to do? How did you understand the ending? When I think of open-ended endings, I always think of that great literary classic, The Cat in the Hat. Do you remember how the cat in the hat ends? You remember the cat shows up and they have lots of fun and make a big mess. The kids are freaking out because the fish, which can somehow talk and see way around the corner of the house, sees mom coming. And they're freaking out about how they're going to clean up. Then the cat shows back up and he cleans up the mess with them so that by the time mom walks into the house, the house is clean. And she says to them, what did you do all day? And the writer doesn't tell us what the kids say. Instead, Dr. Seuss says, well, do you remember? What would you do if your mother asked you? And the reason why he writes the ending that way is because he wants you to look at the little kid you're reading it to and say, 
what would you do? He wants the kid to locate themselves in the story. Well, that's what the writer of Jonah is doing. And the question Jonah is being asked, and of course we are being asked through him, is simply this. Look at verse 11 with me if you have a Bible. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen and I'll read it to you. Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. This is the question God asks. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. The question Jonah ends with is God saying to Jonah, Jonah, do you share my heart for people? Jonah, I love people. I love people. I want to be in relationship with people. I want to rescue people from my judgment. I want to reconcile people that I am at odds with. Jonah, my desire, God says, is to include, is to bring in, is to welcome, is to embrace, is to love. Do you share my heart? And we never get Jonah's answer because in the end, it's not really about Jonah's answer. It's about yours. It's about mine. Do we share God's heart for people? That's the question. That's the whole point of the book of Jonah. That's what it's driving at. That's what it wants you to go get coffee or lunch and talk about with your friends and the people you've read the book with. Do you and I share God's heart for people? And I know we're all tempted to go, well, yeah, of course. Jonah is a jerk in this book. I'm not anything like that. But God knew you would say that, and so the second point is to show you the test that he includes in the book. Not just your answer, do you share my heart? Oh, yes, of course, God. But he offers a test, a way of knowing if you and I really do share his heart. And the test comes in three parts. Here's the first one. God says, do you share my heart, Jonah, for your enemies? For your enemies. Listen, I, I have uh, five kids. You know, my fourth kid, Graham, is five. He's playing t-ball. So I was at a t-ball game yesterday. You know, t-ball is really not about baseball at all. It's about patience. <laughs> stop kicking the dirt. Stop throwing things. Stop, stop climbing the fence. My son got to second base and decided it would be fun to turn his helmet around backwards and run away. I wasn't even sure he could see where he was going. It is an exercise in patience. If you have ever coached t-ball, you are a saint. I envy you. I envy your patience. I will never join you, but I envy you. But when you're at a t-ball game, uh, really what it is for parents is it's an opportunity to around, sort of route sports to celebrate how cute our kids are, okay? The silly things they do, the silly things they say. You know, you just watch each kid do something really cute and amazing, and then you try to find their parents, and you kind of air high-five of them and go, wow, he's so cute, you're doing a great job. T-ball is great because it's easy to love all the kids. That is not who God sends Jonah to. God sends Jonah to Nineveh. Nineveh at this time is a fast-growing empire that's very existence poses an existential threat to Jonah's people, Israel. The bigger they grow, the more likely it is that they will invade Israel. 
The bigger they grow, the more likely it is that that invasion will be successful. And Nineveh, if you read your history, is not a city known for its kindness. It's barbaric. It's grotesque. So an invasion means all the awful things you are imagining. When God tells Jonah in verse 1, go to Nineveh, he is saying, Jonah, go to your worst enemy. He is saying to Jonah, Jonah, go to those people. Do you know what I mean by those people? So no matter who you are, you have a those people. These are the people that you believe are what's wrong with America. The people who don't share your political persuasion. These are the family members who have wronged you that everyone has now ostracized. I remember when Amy and I moved into our neighborhood in Hudson. We, my neighborhood's awesome. It's full of wonderful people. Some of you are my neighbors. Good to see you. But I remember when I moved in uh, an hour, I'd been there an hour, and a guy came to me, lives a couple houses down, came to me and said, hey, nice to meet you. This is my name. I'm Zach. Nice to meet you. And he said, hey, around here we like to keep our yards nice. (laughs) What he was saying is, hey, around here, those people, you know who they are by how many dandelions are in their yard? One. One dandelion. They're out. This is the person at work who's your rival, who takes credit they don't deserve, who makes life miserable. You see, when God says, do you share my heart for people, if he means T-ball, yes. But he doesn't just mean T-ball. He means our enemies. Here's the second thing. Do you share my heart for people? Yes, God. For your enemies? And then he says this. Would you give good news to your enemies? You see, I grew up in church. So when you grow up in church, and I was one of those families, we were there every time the doors were open, I knew a lot. And that was for good and for bad. I was filled with a lot of theological knowledge from Sunday school teachers, VBS, Awana, you name it, I've done it. I was full of knowledge. So by the time I was in the fourth grade, I was well-equipped to theologically talk trash. (laughs) And I remember we were on a family trip to Michigan, so I was already in a bad mood because I was in Michigan. (laughs) Okay? And I remember being there in fourth grade playing basketball with my cousin against two other kids. And one kid was really driving me crazy, which knowing me probably meant he was a better basketball player than me and letting me know about it. And he was talking trash. And at the end of the game, he made some kind of snide comment. And so I looked at him and I said, well, at least I'm not going to hell when I die. (laughs) That is not the message God gives <laughs> Jonah to give to his enemies. You, you, know, you know, people often say to me, Zach, I love the God of the New Testament. He's full of grace. He's full of love, no judgment. Hate the God of the Old Testament, full of judgment, no grace. Listen, as the kids would say these days, tell me you haven't read the Bible without telling me you haven't read the Bible. The New Testament is full of judgment, my friends. In the end of the book, Jesus comes back on a horse in the sky leading God's army against God's enemies. But the Old Testament is also full of grace. You might say, where? And the answer correctly would be everywhere. 
But if all I had of the Old Testament was Jonah, that's all I'd need. Because God shows up through Jonah to Nineveh and he tells them this. This is his message. Yet 40 days and judgment will come. Why would you give somebody a 40-day warning? My daughter Ava, who's getting baptized in this service, I'm so excited. Uh, Very excited for that. When she was little, she was a very obedient child. If I said, Ava, go clean your room, she'd say, yes, Daddy. But if I gave her any kind of timer, she would freak out. Okay, so if I said, Ava, clean your room, okay, Daddy, and you have 30 minutes, she would go, what? 30 minutes? I'll never get done. And because I'm the kind of dad who likes to play jokes on his kids, when I realized that, I would give her ridiculous timers. She was too young to know. So I'd like, Ava, clean your room. Yes, Daddy, and you have four years to do it. And she would say, four years? You might as well discipline me now. Why does Jonah give Nineveh a 40-day timer? That's grace. That's grace. See, if, you, if God wanted just to punish them, he would have given them a four-minute timer, a four-hour timer, a four-day timer. No, he gives a 40-minute timer because he is saying it's okay if it takes you a while to come to terms with the fact that my judgment is coming. My desire is to spare you. So you might need 10 days of denial, 10 days of anger, 10 days of self-loathing, but that's fine. Day 30, I'll still be here. 40 days and judgment is coming. See, God doesn't just send Jonah to his enemies. He sends Jonah to his enemies with good news. This is not the guy in downtown Akron or Cleveland with a bullhorn and a sign as people walk into some major event saying, you're going to hell. This is a guy saying God's judgment is coming, but he wants to forgive you. This is God's judgment is coming, but he wants to spare you. Don't you see? The Old Testament is full of grace. 40 days God wants to spare them. That's the message he gives Jonah to his enemies. Not judgment, not you're what's wrong with the world, not social media posts that are passive aggressive, but rather he gives him a message of grace and forgiveness. This is what God says. Do you share my heart for people? Yes, God. Would you go to your enemies? Uh, Would you go to them with good news? Do you know what God wants to say to your enemies? Those people who are what's wrong with our country. It's a message of grace, of love, of forgiveness, of value. Are you willing to take that message? Here's the third part of the test. God says to Jonah, go to your enemies. That's one. With good news. That's two. And here's the third part. At great personal cost. At great personal cost. Look at what Jonah says in Jonah chapter 4. you got to really think about this because at first it really doesn't make sense. So uh, Jonah chapter 4, let's pick it up in the very beginning. First verse, it says this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Isn't that the most ridiculous trash talk you've ever heard in your entire life? I knew you were gracious, God. Verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please 
Take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. What is Jonah saying? He's saying, God, you have ruined me. And he means it in two ways. First, he says, God, you have shown me you are not the God I wanted. Jonah wants a God who's merciful. You know that. He wants a God who's slow to anger. When he was in the belly of the fish, he wanted a God who was merciful and abounding in grace. He wanted that God. Here's what he means. I only wanted you to be that kind of God for me. I wanted grace for me, God, but I wanted judgment for my enemies. That's what the whole thing about the plant is about. When God makes a plant come up and give Jonah shade, Jonah says, yes, that's right. That's what I expected from you, God. I expected you to care for me. I expected you to be concerned for me. When God takes the plant away, Jonah says, whoa, 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 hold on. Now I hate you again. You have not done what I wanted you to do. Let me let you in on something. God is saying to Jonah, Jonah, if you share my heart, be prepared to be contradicted. I tell people this all the time. A relationship with a made-up God in your head? The kind of God that you say, well, to me, God is like this. Or when I think about God, I experience a God in the trees and the fish and the sky. And that's great. Because as long as you have that kind of God, he will only ever agree with you. Because it's a fairy tale that you made up in your head. But a relationship with a real God, with a living God, with a communicative God, will always result in you realizing what you thought was wrong. God says, Jonah, you're interested in grace for you, but judgment for your enemies. I'm actually interested in grace for all of you. But here's the second way it comes at great personal cost. Jonah says, I'd rather just die. And it's easy to go, aren't you being a little melodramatic, Jonah? But Jonah was holding out hope that Nineveh would still be destroyed. The Bible says he goes out of the city to the east to see what happens to the city. In the Old Testament, the east is always where judgment comes from. When God sends Adam and Eve out of the garden, out of Eden, he sends them east. East is always where judgment comes from. So Jonah sets up a booth east of Nineveh, and the Bible says he was waiting to see what would happen. Jonah, if you know your Bible, Jonah wants God to go Sodom and Gomorrah on Nineveh. And he's still holding out some hope that it's going to happen. When it doesn't happen, he's angry, and he says, it's better for me to die. What does he mean? He's saying, God, you've ruined my career. Because Jonah has to go back to Israel. And his legacy will be he's the prophet who spared God's enemies. That empire that keeps getting bigger, that empire that will eventually invade us, that empire that will eventually destroy us, that empire, oh yeah, it still exists because of me. Can you imagine Jonah talking to a buddy? Jonah, where you been? I know she's been out of town. Oh, I've been in Nineveh. Oh, were you preaching there? I was. Oh, Judgment? God's going to take care of them? The crisis is over? Mm, not so much. They're forgiven. They're spared. They're still growing. One of the ways you know that Jonah is interested in himself here is you can read about this for yourself. In 2 Kings chapter 14, the same Jonah, while Israel's being led by a wicked king and being bad, 
gives them a message of good news. God is going to expand your borders. So Jonah preaches good news to bad people, and he never runs, and he never gets angry, and he never hides. Do you know why? Because the good news for those bad people were his people. See, when you preach good news to bad people that are your people, it makes you more popular. But when you preach good news to your enemies, it makes you less popular with your tribe. Don't believe me? Say what, next time you have a political conversation with your political buddies, and they begin to bash the other side, look at them and say, you know what, God's really been breaking my heart for the other side, and I've committed, I'm not gonna talk bad about them, I'm gonna pray for them, I'm gonna seek opportunities to share the gospel with them, and I'm gonna hope the best for them because God loves them. See how quickly your tribe rejects you. Say to your family, you know that family member that we've forgotten, that we've ostracized, I'm going to reach out to them because God's heart is for them. See how quickly you are pushed away. Say to your neighbors, see that guy over there with that one weed in his yard? I'm going to go talk to him and not about the weed. See how quickly you're rejected. That's what Jonah's saying. My life is over. I'll be rejected. You see, God isn't just saying to us, do you share my heart for people? That's too easy. He's saying, do you share your, my heart for your enemies? enough that you would give them good news, enough that you would even suffer and lose and sacrifice to do so. i got to be honest with you. If that's God's point in the book of Jonah, then it makes me say, well, who, who could possibly share God's heart? I couldn't. That leads me to the third point, the secret. I spent a lot of time reading in preparation for the sermons. I know, you're thinking, doesn't show, touche. But I read one thing that a commentator said this week that I thought was spectacular. He said, you know, when the book ends, you don't really know how Jonah's going to respond. You think you do. You think you do because he seems so hard-headed and hard-hearted throughout the book. But then he said this. But think about it this way. Who wrote the story of Jonah? The answer had to be Jonah, Right? Only Jonah knows what he prayed in the belly of the fish. Only Jonah knows about the plant conversation. Well, why would Jonah write a book about him being a jerk? I think the answer is because Jonah eventually did come to share God's heart. And he wanted us to learn his story. You get a glimpse of this, by the way, in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah's been thrown into the ocean. He is God's enemy. He has run from God. He is God's enemy. And God comes to him with good news. And the good news is a fish. You're not going to die. You're not going to drown. This fish is going to swallow you up. And God does it at cost to himself because for God to save face would mean destroying Jonah. And yet God comes to him with good news at cost to himself. And Jonah says in chapter 2, verse 10, salvation, or 9 and 10, salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, Jonah recognizes his own need for grace. It's only in the story as he gets further from his own need for grace that he finds it hard to extend it to others. But the story of Jonah points us further to a greater story, the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus, whose whole ministry can be summed up in these three things. First, he went to his enemies. Jesus came to the people who were what's wrong with the world. Those people, spoiler alert, were us. Jesus came to those of us who had rejected him, those of us who had turned our backs on God, who had sinned against God. He came to us. And what kind of message did he bring? Good 
news. A message that he had lived in our place, that he had died in our place, that through simple faith in him, we could be forgiven. And he came with that message at great cost to himself, dying ultimately on the cross in our place. Listen, what Jonah teaches us is that the secret to sharing God's heart for people is to never lose sight of the fact that God has done for you what he's asking you to do for others. You and I were God's enemies. And he came to us with good news in Christ at great cost to himself. The closer we get to our own experience of grace, the more natural it will be to extend it to others, no matter who they are, because we, like Jonah in the fish, will see ourselves in them. We will realize we are God's Nineveh. And that he came to us in Christ. The further we get from our own experience of grace, like Jonah in chapter 4, the less we will share God's heart. Jonah, the book of Jonah, is all about this question. Do you share God's heart? And if you know yourself, and if I know my, myself, we will answer, no, but I want to. How can I? And the answer to that is to see ourselves in the story of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the grace of the Old Testament. Thank you that you're the kind of God who gives a 40-day fuse to your judgment. And even now, as people sit here now, judgment is on the way for all of us. And yet in your grace, they're here right now this morning, hearing of your judgment, hearing of your grace, because your desire is that they would turn. That they would cry out to you, seek your forgiveness in Christ and avoid what you don't want for them. I pray that that would happen. And I pray for those of us who have a relationship with you in Jesus, that we would acknowledge the ways that I, I would acknowledge the ways I do not share your heart. And that, Holy Spirit, you would make my heart like yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.